Welcome to the SW7 Academy podcast with myself, Sam Warburton, and head coach, Chris Toombs, and we will teach you about all the elite behaviors and training methods that you need to know to build you into the best possible athlete. Just a quick word about our sponsors, Tramshed Tech. Tramshed Tech is a collaborative community where startups scale up. A platform for growth supporting the tech, digital, and creative industries. Like SW7, it's a community made up of high performers where having a growth mindset is key. Tramshed Tech can help you on your journey whether your business needs space to work, skills training, or business support services. Their award-winning Startup Academy, supported by Google for Startups, is open for registration for pre-start or early-stage businesses. Tramshed Tech are currently expanding to new locations in Wales, including Cardiff, Newport, Barry, and Swansea. So if you're an entrepreneur looking for space to work, business support, or skills training, head to tramshedtech.co.uk or at tramshedtech on social media to find out more. Okay, so we're back for the third episode of the SW7 Academy podcast, and this episode is really specifically going to be towards you, Toomsy, because... This is something which you've educated me on massively. Um, Velocity-based training, or abbreviated VBT, and its role in developing power as well. So, God, this is a big one for us because I think one of the questions we get most, isn't it, is how do I develop power? So maybe we start there, really. So everybody wants to go to the um, the sort of sexy advanced exercises. Oh, it's a bit of an open-ended question, this. How do you develop power yeah okay so i think um you know we've spoken a lot about this over you know the course of your career but also more recently with our work here at sw7 but i mean ultimately powers you know the rate of doing work and how quickly you can essentially express your your force which is your 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 strength reserves so i think if we start if we start with that i mean the fascination for me with velocity based training happened going back a long way in my career where um Leicester Tigers were very closely aligned with England rugby for obvious reasons, especially in and around the 2003 World Cup. That's when I first got exposed to the technology. And ultimately, what it did for me was really help me. And research has developed exponentially over the last three to five years, potentially. But what it really did was help me understand much more about developing strength, but without creating a level of fatigue that going back full circle to the player and being ready for match day. Every single time we as coaches and you as players get exposed to a training stimulus, because of the demand of that stimulus, there's a level of residual fatigue. And I know I don't want to talk over people's heads too much. I want to try and make this as digestible as possible. But the, the realities are, if we do too much volume, then coming into match day, you get the typical comment, which is, oh, my legs feel like lead oh, heavy, and I feel yeah. heavy and I feel like I can't express that force as, as optimally as possible. So the more I drilled down into VBT and the more I've exposed even at the back end of your career, uh, with me as a coach, that is not your, the back end of your full career, we started being much more prescriptive around you know, velocity and also and bar speed being a good barometer of what we're trying to accomplish. Because I think... Just trying to, again, answer some of the questions we get on the on the Instagram stories and, and that kind of thing a lot. There's so many players and training athletes out there who kill themselves week in, week out with really high volume and working to absolute failure. And what velocity-based training has taught me as a coach, and then I've obviously, you know, applied that in my in my everyday work, is that 
there's a payback and there's a cost for that. And that cost is generally recovering from the fatigue that we're driving. So as a coach, what I want to try and do is give you just the right amount of stimulus to create the adaptation that we want so that you develop those physical qualities that we're trying to develop. So that's the balancing act of volume, intensity and, and the right amounts. And that's where velocity-based training is so valuable because it's not only looking at a specific velocity on a, on a you know, tablet or on your phone, but it's also the underlying metrics that you get from that, which is how much fatigue am I creating or how much fatigue are you driving as a, as a player by training in a specific way. So going back to the power equation, which is an interesting one, which we've talked about in many an occasion before. I use the hashtag strength foundation a lot. And I know we, ban we, we, we banter yeah, about it. it. But what you've, you've even mentioned it on, um, on our uh, IG platform recently, which is you need a strength capacity first in order to express your, your force quickly. So what I mean by that, if you and I both, if I have a 1RM of 100 and you have a 1RM of 200, you are basically 50% stronger than me. But if we then want to throw around 100 kilo weights, well, it's 100% of my one rep max and it's only 50% of your one rep max. So you have the capacity to generate much more power because you're stronger. So I think the underlying mechanism of developing power is that you need a strength foundation first. But in terms of effectively programming, we want to do what we've talked about before, which is a mixed methods approach where we want to expose athletes to velocity but we also have the underpinning strength capacity to develop as a kind of premium physical quality. So that means we still focus on developing strength, but we also develop speed, strength and strength speed across the full spectrum of strength qualities that we're trying to develop because your body or your, or your rugby player needs to be able to develop the strength qualities to move things quickly. So if I'm a young player now listening, they're probably thinking, okay, which way do I do it then? Do I need to... Can I mix them all in the same week or do I have to do like four weeks of strength, four weeks of power? What way would you recommend? Or is there more than one way to skin a cat? There's definitely more than one way to skin a cat. That is for sure. But I think um, the longer I've been in performance coaching, the better the results from a mixed methods approach, even if you're a young player. So what I basically mean by that, and I know we're going to talk in another episode around like structuring your ideal training week, but from a development of strength qualities perspective, you can work all strength qualities all of the time, but how you bias your training week is going to depend on a bit like we did with the testing uh, conversation. If we find out that you're really strong, well, that's not a limiting factor in your performance. So we then work all the other physical qualities so that you can be a more rounded and complete player. So if you, for example, are a young player, 16 years old, not very strong because not many people at 16 are strong or at least strong enough to play at the elite level, so our priority is developing maximum strength and I'll show you how to use or hopefully I'll explain via the pod how to develop strength using the velocity based training as an integrated method which helps you not is keep making continual progress but not to the detriment of fatigue and we can balance those things out and I'll hopefully explain that as we go. But ultimately if strength is your weakness, excuse the pun, we spend more of our training time developing maximum strength, but we also can develop strength speed and speed strength. So things moving like a light barbell at high velocity is speed strength. And things like, depending on your competencies, Olympic lifting kind of sits in the strength speed. And one of the exercises that you were exposed to, particularly in the kind of middle ages of your career, 
was this strength speed using something like an explosive squat. So at one point in time, when you did have a 200 plus kilo um, 1RM for squat, using about 150 kilos and moving that at nearly one meter per second, I've got video evidence for those who want to who see it. He had noodle arms at that point in his career, but not necessarily, not necessarily now. But ultimately, you're exposing yourself to maybe 75% of your training time is spent developing maximum strength. 10% on speed strength and 15% on strength speed. And then as your career develops and your strength ceiling rises, i.e. I'm a kid at 16 who can squat 100 kilos. In two years time, I can squat 150 kilos. In two years after that, I can squat 200 kilos. Then you're changing from, okay, what's gonna make the most sense and what's the best return on investment for my training time? Well. I can squat 200 and that's not a limiting factor in my performance anymore. So like I said to you a couple of episodes ago, two sets of two, uh, 80% is going to maintain 180 kilo squat for the rest of your career. Yeah. Not very time, time taxing and obviously not enormously fatiguing either. But you want to be able to move in the modern game, players weigh between 90 kilos and 130 kilos, just say from every single position group. And obviously some of the French tight heads are about 150 kilos now. So anyway, between 90 and 150 kilos, you want to focus your, if you've got the strength capacity, you want to focus your time around moving those kind of loads quickly so that come ruck time or come game specific demands, 150 kilos is still heavy, but it doesn't feel like you're moving that with maximum intent and with real explosive, um, you know, dynamism. So that if it comes to ruck time and I got a blower ruck, I could just blast 150 like nothing. Then you've talking about developing repeatability and all those other things. But velocity-based training allows me to be very prescriptive with loads because, as you and I both know, there's players who love training to failure, and training to failure, like I said, has a cost. Um, associated with it which is essentially longer to recover to get back to baseline before you can then train again and add another layer of you know training units together so that's the biggest challenge we've got which is prescribe a specific velocity that equates to a percentage of one rep max because they do align so i know for example a squat 0.54 meters per second equates to 80% of one rep max because I kind of memorize the tables and I understand what intensity looks like. Yeah, that's quite slow, I guess, 0.5. Yeah, so 0.54 is about 80% of one rep max for yeah. a squat. It is exercise It's that way to move fairly. So you yeah. know, for context, 0.54 is quite slow, obviously slow. compared to one yeah. meter Yeah, so if you're talking about a jump squat at 1.5 meters per second, much, much faster. Yeah. So those are the things that we then have to start looking at from a prescription standpoint because we don't want players just training heavy all the time. Because what that does, it is, it is creating a level of fatigue that takes a long time to recover from. And there's also this thing called residual fatigue, which the longer you train. So if you trained a heavy barbell squat for six to eight weeks, it'll in theory take between six and eight weeks to actually get the full benefit of that strength stimulus if programmed effectively and efficiently. So... What we want to do using velocity-based training is make sure that when you come into the gym on a Tuesday or a Thursday or whatever you know training days you have, Monday and Wednesday before a Saturday game, we give you a specific dose of strength work that's going to be appropriate for you to develop that strength quality we're after, but without causing so much fatigue that you're under-recovered for match day, which is when you, know, you want to showcase your skills. So that's why training on a, on a Tuesday and Thursday legs, for example, if you get the dose right, and I get this question asked a lot, how much volume? 
And as we both know, it depends. <laughs> and it depends a lot on different um, you know, characteristics of each individual player, the, the speed at which they can recover, their fitness level, their optimal body composition. You see where this is going with elite behaviors. It's, it's only three or four sets, maybe four or five sets. We don't need enormous amounts of volume if high quality strength is what you're after. If you want a hypertrophy, by design, you need a little bit more volume because you need to stress the muscle that little bit more. But the more hypertrophy you do, the more you blunt your adaptations to those fast twitch fiber. We want to encourage development of fast twitch fiber. And that requires intensity and heavy lifting, but not necessarily huge amounts of volume. Say that because I think you've explained it really well using the different speeds of the bar. 0.5 obviously being much more strength focused, 1.5 being really explosive. If a young guys or young girl is listening to this now and thinks, all right, I want to implement this into my le- next lower body sort of session. I know is like I say, loads of different variables, training experience and all this stuff. In a, like, How would you start to structure a session and use in VBT and to develop power? Would you start with strength sets? Would you start with power sets? How many of each would you look for? Yeah. If you're giving someone just a rough sort of guide yeah. on how to structure yeah. a session to develop Love this, it. what would great, you tell them? Great question. I mean, these are the sort of things that we can't answer on IG in 15, 20 seconds story. But this is exactly the sort of content that I hope that, that the listener is going to want to hear. And for me, it would be a bit like I say, the mixed methods approach. If you're a young player, I, there's three things. So I'll, we can delve a little bit more into my own personal training methodologies here, I guess. I've got, I mean, you know this, but I've got three pretty much groups of, of, of player. Train to develop, which is those young players who've got very low training age. You've got train to compete, which is those in the prime of their career, sort of 20 to 28. And you've got the train to thrive. I used to call it train to survive. But you've got the train to survive. That's the group we're in. Who need, yeah, that's us. <laughs> that's us old people who need lots of modification in their yeah. training for various reasons. But ultimately, all of our programs may have the cornerstones might be the same exercises, but how we chop that up is going to change enormously. So like I said, about 75% of a train, train to develop player needs more of a strength foundation. So they might need to Typically do, a younger than novice Typically player. younger, younger, low training age, one to three years of training experience, for, for example. So 75% of this training session is going to be maximum strength focused. So I'll, I'll structure it for you. The other 15 and 10% is going to be speed strength and max uh, strength speed. So I'm going to go, I'm going to start with the highest, um, you know, fatiguing quality. So just say my, my power exposure. So I'm going to do bar only, literally 20 kilo barbell. I'm going to do two sets of three jump squat. If I've got access to my VBT device, brilliant, because I can benchmark you and I can keep you honest with training intent and real um, high quality exposure to this is the speed I want you to try and move it at 1.2 to 1.5 meters per second. But I want two sets of three. I want maximum effort, really, really high quality. But yeah, it's only six total reps. That's, so that's at the speed strength end of the spectrum. Then, because I know you as an athlete and I've got to know you and I know that you've got, say, a, a one rep max as a young player of 100 kilos, I'm then going to want you to do some sort of um, explosive strength exposure. So if you've got um, Olympic level, or sorry, Olympic lifting kind of competency, I'm not saying every program has that within its kind of parameters and its session design. But if you can Olympic lift, you can either do that, something like a hand clean with 60 to 80 kgs would be your kind of strength speed exposure where you're trying to produce force really really quickly under moderate to heavy load 60 to 80 kgs is a 16 to 18 year olds a decent hang clean yeah. um you know obviously there's people who can do more but that 60 to 80 percent in the kind of 
moderate to heavy uh, bracket, but with intention to move those weights quick. So I'm going to do about one meter per second. One meter per second in and around yeah. that sort of number. So that's the history of the sort of Olympic lifting. And, and this isn't my research, but there's a guy called Dan Baker who's famous in strength and conditioning. For most people to complete uh, a hang clean or a power clean, then bar speed of around about one meter per second is that kind of threshold where it's make it or miss it type scenario. So ultimately it's moving relatively heavy loads relatively quickly. That's your strength speed stimulus. And for, like I say, for most developing players, whether that's an explosive squat, an explosive hex bar or an Olympic lifting variation, same again, probably two to three sets depending on their needs. It's going to be, it might be three sets for some people, two for another, it might be four for another. But then the, the meat and potatoes of that session are going to be your core main strength exercise, whether that's a squat, whether that's a hex bar deadlift, whether that's um, a prowler push or whether that's a single leg variation. For me as a coach, I used to be very hung up. I won't lie to you. I've obviously evolved my practice at the moment, but I used to be very hung up on everyone must clean, everyone must squat. I then learned to be a bit more, you know, open-minded and think a little bit more laterally around. Xavier Rush was a great example of someone who helped me um, establish a more rounded approach to developing a player, not necessarily developing an athlete. So my views on just being a squat and clean type guy changed towards which exercises are going to be needed to drive adaptation. And then you choose one. So you have a menu. You know, if I'd gone back 20 years to our kind of physical development times, chances are we wouldn't have squatted as much. We would have used a hex bar dead. We would have used a sled more, whatever it might be. So you're jumping at the front end. You're using moderate to heavy loads in the middle, but with the intention to move them quickly, never to fatigue or never to failure, sorry. So you're looking at two to three reps, four reps maximum. And then, like I say, the meat and potatoes of the session is your key lift, your squat, your deadlift, your sled or your single leg variation. And that way you're looking at, for a young player, it is the traditional Bill Starr kind of methodology, five by five, absolute winner. So even if then we're just making up the, or just counting the numbers, two sets of jump squats, three sets with strength speed, five sets of main strength, 10 working sets, not including the warm up and the prep. And then obviously we're looking to work some trunk, some, you know, some, some, some core, as they say now, and some hamstring, whether that's to bulletproof the hamstrings, add a level of resiliency or you know, think RDL, Swiss ball, leg curl, whatever, whatever it may be. So you're looking at 15 total sets, but you and I always get when we talk to people, is that it? Well, it's it for one session, but we don't look at a session in isolation. What we want to do, and this is where, again, velocity-based training is so valuable, it's about doing the work today so that we recover effectively and optimally for, so we can come back to do the next session because as you and I both know consistency and frequency are the two main markers for long-term sustainable progress so you do legs Monday Wednesday Friday for, for, for three years you'll go from a 60 kilo squat to a 240 kilo squat how do I know that because you've done it Halfpenny's done it Jamie Roberts has done it Bradley Davis has done it Reese Gill's done it the names can keep flying off my tongue until we finish yeah. the show but that's that's the reality of where we keep wrapping around all the content that we're going to discuss on this pod for the next however many years is going to be about consistency frequency doing the work being patient limiting your volume because volume is the for me is the key component that kills long-term sustainable progress people love more 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 but as we've talked about on many an occasion if you add something to your program and we'll talk about programming in the next episode but if we add something 
then as a very, very famous S&C coach in America says, Eric Cressy, if you keep adding to a program, something has to be taken away so that the whole, this holistic 360 approach to physical development and player development, importantly, something has to give. Otherwise, you're just filling that stress bucket to overflow status. And that way you're going to get illness, you're going to get fatigue, you're going to get injury. I think that's that genuinely amazing insight there. And I think people might be realizing now the difference between what you're saying and they might be thinking about walking into their local commercial gym, doing five sets of 12 leg press, five sets of 15 leg extension, uh, standing calf raises for 20 reps and wondering why they're not maybe getting the transfer on the field because they compare that session to what you're saying worlds apart both with the right intentions going to the gym wanting to get bigger legs and develop strength but you can see i think from what you've said how you can transfer that what you think you're actually doing into something much more effective you mentioned about the clean and hand cleans say there's people out there youngsters who don't have access to coaches one-to-one so they haven't got yourself coached them feedback to a hand clean what alternative exercises could they do for that strength speed stimulus so that second sort of exercise they're doing in their session if they can't olympic lift yeah brilliant question so there's two things that just that come to mind in terms of people who may or may not have access to coaching and, and feedback um the first one is so i talked about a jump squat for speed strength is yeah. one of my favorites and one of the favorites of some of the coaches that i have enormous amounts of respect for is the overhead med ball throw uh, sometimes yeah. known as the granny toss you've shown it on the instagram and many a time really fantastic for high velocity explosive intention so the overhead med ball throw at that end but for those who follow the sw7 and, and me as well there's loads of examples on there so i yeah, encourage people to got, look at that yeah, yeah you've got the hex bar jump so yeah, for, me, yeah. for me, the, the strength speed, so that, that more moderate to heavy load, but under control and safe, a hex bar jump for me has replaced some of the Olympic lifting variations in the programming for various reasons, not just because I didn't want to coach um, Olympic lifting, but it's, it's athlete health long-term, which is a lot of guys, as you and I both know, again, not wanting to name many names, but Casey Lalala, incredibly explosive. Loved his Olympic lifting at the beginning of his career, but then had wrist and elbow injuries. And as we know, if you've caught, if you're like catching a bar and receiving a bar from an Olympic lifting standpoint, it was just hurting. The, so if, if something's going to hurt you in the gym, you get enough hurt on the field. So why are we trying to almost pigeonhole players to do exercises that are going to not hurt them, but they feel discomfort? So we just replace them. So a hex bar jump with medium to or moderate to heavy loads is a fantastic variation for creating and driving adaptation through intent to move heavy loads quickly. Um, the overhead med ball throw and the, and the jump squat would be two that would be interchangeable in and around 10 kilos for a med ball. And again, the big mistake I see with young players, they always want to go too heavy too early. It's actually more about showing explosive intent at the velocity end. If we wanted you to lift something heavy, we can just lift something different that's heavier. So velocity is important as well as loading at the maximum strength end of the curve. We've got plenty of other exercises to do that. So almost be contrasting to the max, like a 20 kilo barbell and a 10 kilo med ball are two things that are fantastic training tools to develop that explosive intention. And then like I say, hex bar jumps, even even squat, even explosive squats. So yeah, like a 60 to 80K squat, moving it really quickly, getting off the ground. I mean, the challenge we've got as coaches is if it's heavier than 60 to 80 kgs and you're getting off the ground, is obviously landing with that extra load and obviously absorbing that or not, yeah, absorbing that yeah. that force. But 
So on that then, would you, if a young guy is or young girl is thinking, is it beneficial for me to take the time? Because it does take time to learn the skill of an Olympic lift. Is it more beneficial for me to take the time to learn the Olympic lift, like a hand clean or a clean off the floor, whatever? Or am I better off saving time and just doing an exercise like a hex bar jump? What what would you recommend they do if they had the time? Do they both, because they both have similar transfer, is it beneficial to actually do Olympic lifting or can they just go straight into hex bars and things? I've got to say both. Just using my experience over the over the years as a rugby S&C, there's such high value and other people may challenge this and that's absolutely fine. There's such high value with the rate of force development required to move 60 to 80, 80 to 100 on a hand clean. Because you have example. to catch it or you're knackered. Yeah. 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 So you've got to force so, it. So you've got to show that intention. That's the one key thing for me. But also, I just think you've got to do both. It's a bit like when, do you want a front squat? Do you want a back squat? I always say do both, but change the program variables so that you can end up getting those two things done but not necessarily concurrently like you don't want a front squat and back squat in the same session for me you want to maybe do a phase of front squat a phase of back squat but also in terms of it's, it is how you program because you said about substituting stuff i mean olympic lifting get really really good at doing an rdl so you get into that position to start the hand clean front squat because inevitably you catch and and maybe in a really deep flexion position as well, bottom end of the... So if you're really good at front squatting, you're really good at RDL, you should then be able to, from a skill acquisition standpoint, be pretty good and pretty competent at cleaning quite quickly because you've got two of the main components of that, which is, you know, yeah. the, the two positions. And yeah. I think that's a really good point um, because when you're um, doing a... A, a clean say somebody's thinking well i haven't got access to to vbt so how do i know how quickly i'm moving the bar i think it's actually quite a really good point on the uh the clean because if you don't catch it it's gonna, obviously it's, it's gonna land on your, your hips it's gonna be awful where if you're doing a hex bar jump you can do a half-assed hex bar jump and get away with it it's not what we want yeah, sure but with a clean you have to pull hard or you're not going to catch it and that was going to lead me into my next point which you mentioned before the importance of intent and max effort when doing power because I know you've had some uh, clients that you've had one-to-one -one, and they think they're doing a power exercise like a, a med ball throw or jumping with a bar on their back but you can just see from watching them on mate that's about 70-80% effort what's the importance of when you're doing these power exercises that it has to be absolute maximum intent otherwise you're not going to get yeah, I think that's one of the, well, there's two key key values for velocity-based training in, in my experiences. And one is teaching and, and learning intent. So you're you're encouraging a person to move with maximal effort and maximal intent. And the, the kind of reward for that is the athlete seeing on the interface that they're moving at a certain velocity. So you're teaching them that. But the second part of that, which is as important, which is about quality, which is, I only want you to do three reps of this with maximal intent because from reps four to five to six, what you see because of the way things are loaded potentially is a drop off in, in velocity. And we don't want, we want the power qualities to be of the highest possible um, output versus we don't want to create a level of fatigue in this case. We want to create a really high quality stimulus without drop off because, um, Velocity drop-off is a really good indication of how much fatigue we're creating. So if we create too much fatigue, not only now in the acute sense, as in the first three sets of our session, but across the set, 
across the session and then across the next session, the next session, the next session, what you find yourself in is a big training hole, which is obviously an element of residual fatigue where you're not feeling the benefits of the training stimulus that we're trying to provide. Sure, explain that because that's, that's really important. I, I used to, I found it fascinating when I was an athlete and you'd be doing these things on me. So explain what happens to sort of the figures, the numbers that are coming through to you on your phone when you've got the VBT set up and it's on the bar and you're aiming for a certain bar speed. Explain what that means, the drop off and when you tell someone they need to end the set. Yeah. Okay, so if you're trying to develop um, power as a quality, you want a really high level of exposure to a specific stimulus. You don't want to create a, a drop off because you are you, because that's creating fatigue. So what you want to try and do is get your load prescription so precise that if you've got a hundred kilos to, on the bar and I want you to move it at one meter per second consistently for three for three reps, and you can't do that, that's telling me as a coach that two things are wrong: one, the loading's wrong, or two, the athlete in front of me is got a level of residual fatigue from the last week's game or the last training session you did you might have done a heavy fitness session the day before or contact or collision or something you're under recovered so for today that's not terrible because we can modify and adjust your loadings to make sure we hit the right velocity zones that we're trying to drive for you know the the outcomes that we're looking for but long term if you keep on a downward trend of I'm asking you most days when you're feeling good you can move 100 kilos at one meter per second easily if over this training session the next training session and the one after that you can't there's there's a reason for that it's either inappropriate stimulus too much volume too much rugby too much collision too much stress in life you've got two kids and a dog and all the other drama that goes along <laughs> the chaos of home life it's not i mean it's contextually it could yeah, be various no. different reasons why you can't so then i also think well my programming's got to be wrong because i can't we're not making any improvements so i can adjust the programming so that's why velocity based training is very helpful because it's there's lots of different moving parts going on here but it's helping me gain intel and insights into right physiologically something's not right you're undercovered well, why is that? Well, you've had five games in a row and your playing minutes are high and you basically five games in a row. It's fatigue that's uncontrollable. The game is the most fatiguing element of your weekly exposure to any training or playing stimulus. Of course it is. That's emotional, stress, psychological, physiological, everything. But that's why we can modify and manage programming adjustments day to day, week to week, every single week because we can use the numbers that we're seeing and the velocity drop-offs. If, for example, I know players at this time of year who get absolutely hammered by coaches with in, like, overly prescribed volume in their pre-season, you know, 100-meter repeats for 30 reps, which some club teams are going to do at this time of year. They are, they are. What do you Because they, they think they're building capacity. But ultimately, they're also creating a level of fatigue that has impact on all the other training variables we're trying to... The, the programming, and I know we're going to spend a whole episode on this date later, the programming piece is massively fascinating for me still, even in this 28th year of working in strength and conditioning, because solving that problem is going to be different for every single player in, our, in a squad because of the different, you know, the props, the hookers, the second rows, the back rows, the outside backs, the tens, the nines, whatever. So many people need so many different things that fitting that jigsaw together coherently is really, really hard, isn't it? So that's why I'm still kind of fascinated with trying to solve everybody's problems. And I'm not saying velocity-based training solves everybody's problem. But in the gym setting, 
with a level of exposure to that technology, we can do our best to make sure that the dose of strength work that we're doing today has best bang for our buck return on investment down the line, whether that's the quality of the work we do today, plus the quality of the work we do the next time we train, plus the quality of work we do the next time after that. And it just, all those training units, as you know, add up to sustainable progress and not just thinking about a session in isolation, which I think a lot of people do. They think, oh, it's leg day on Monday, it's upper body on a Tuesday, it's full body on a Thursday, it's game day on a Saturday. You have to add all of that up all of the time and that's where the flow of week to week has to be adjusted and velocity-based training really helps that. But going back, the kids thing, I mean, training intent and making sure we, we give the appropriate dose is absolutely the sort of the two really big go-tos. And the other one that I think is of really high value, especially for those who don't necessarily value the gym, but they love playing the game. And again, not wanting to name drop Fish, but Tito was a brilliant one. He only had one really good exercise, which is the push press. So, which is great in a way, because it's, you know, total body. But we always used to put the velocity-based training on him for that, because it made him feel good. Because when everyone else is giving him a hard time that his bench is rubbish or X, Y, Z, actually is one of the best at push press in the in the organization. So if you had him... How's that then? I'll give you some well, I mean, I guess a bit of specificity in some respects because that was the exercise he enjoyed doing. So his upper body strength lift was a vertical push, whereas most people wanted to bench, he wanted to overhead press. Yes, he's like lifting his whole career yeah, as well. Yeah, so it's, and so, know. yeah, there's things that were, he was specifically quite good at. But my main point being... Add a layer of competitiveness and the alphas want to come out and play, yeah, which is why if you get that competitive drive going within a training session, you get output. And if you get output, you get, you know, outcomes. And ultimately outcomes is what we want, which is a player being better physically to play the game. So, I mean, and Rushy was another one. The alphas would always come out when the VBT was out because they wanted to test themselves against their peer group. But also I think I've seen it in other sports. So I worked in cricket for a bit. The lads got competitive with moving a fixed load at a certain speed. So that for me was great because not one, it drove intent and intention to move weights quickly. But two, because I basically got into the psyche of competition, they gave me decent output. And if they give me decent output, then like I say, the outcome is a better quality athlete. So that's the win. So you use velocity-based training, not just to understand velocity loss and creating fatigue and dosing appropriately with the right... Um, level of weight but you also use it to you know gamify training because that you know 50 weeks a year 45 weeks a year training you can get mundane yeah. correct yeah. so we and also that way we can we can manipulate training variables using velocity and not just weight so that people aren't just hitting the heavy yeah. heavy loads all the time but then using again just to summarize really we're using a mixed methods approach so that they get speed they get strength speed and they get strength so they get all the strength qualities in one session amazing which is efficiency as well because yeah. we haven't got in pro sport people don't realize you've only really got two weight sessions a week yeah. so you've got to be as precise as possible because there are other training variables to factor in and i know we're going to spend a whole of a uh, whole of an episode talking about you know what an ideally weekly structure looks like so i guess to round up this one there's some people probably thinking oh my god i gotta get my hands on a vbt device can is it 
something that is accessed by the general public? And if so, where can they get them from? Yes, yeah, so this is an interesting one. So there's a company that I used to work for quite a lot called Push, who've actually been acquired by Whoop. So those who know about the Whoop band. Yeah. So Push have been acquired by Whoop and they're going to put the Push band into the Whoop band, which I'm quite interested to know. That's probably between six and nine months away. The good news is if you are an iPhone user, um, there's a company called Metric BBT, which uses um, your iPhone to, and I'm not getting paid by them, but I really like their oh, product. Oh, is that what you filmed? The one you, yeah. yeah. So you can film, which is great for video feedback as well as the velocity-based training feedback. So you've got Metric VBT, which is a download on iPhone. I'm not sure whether it's available on Android yet. And there's another great company called Output Sports who are also a very small device, which is both um, Android and Apple enabled, which basically means you can use that. But the small devices, and then depending on budgets, you've got camera systems, you've got tethered units, which are things like Tendos and um, Gymawares, which attach to the barbell as well, but they're slightly more exp expensive. But there are a few, but the iPhone, the metric, the metric VBT iPhone app is fantastic for people who just want to um, download an app for free at the moment. I'm sure at some point they'll charge, but for right now, it's a brilliant free download. And that's VBT in your pocket. I just, I just laugh and then I'm looking at the, the clock because we're looking at sort of time of this episode and people wonder why we can't do enough on power on an Instagram story. It's take us 36 minutes because when someone says, how do you develop power? It's like, oh, you know, yeah. God, where, where do I start? But I think that was um, so fascinating for youngsters now. At least you can completely see the thought behind the methodology, how you do power. Don't just mindlessly jump on boxes. You know, there's a lot of yeah. strategic implementation that needs to be put in place. But I think what they would have learned from the last 37 minutes, absolute gold is to develop their power moving forward as athletes. Brilliant. Love it. Lovely. See you next week, Toomsie. Yeah, see you, mate.